0: Welcome to the Academy of Esports Podcast. I'm your host, James O'Hagan. I'm here with Connor Alney. He's the head coach of the Ottawa University over in Kansas, their esports program. Connor, thank you so much for being on the podcast. Thank you for having me. I'm excited
1: for this conversation.
0: And is it Ottawa University or Ottawa College, or did I get it right? I'm you sorry. got it right.
1: Ottawa University. Ottawa University. Get confused <laughs> with the University of Ottawa, which is in Canada.
0: <laughs> right. And we are talking the Kansas side of things. So uh yes. Last episode, I had Bub on from Varsity Esports Foundation. You are also affiliated with the Varsity Esports Foundation as well. Is that correct?
1: Yep, I'm the uh, development director there. Uh, my main duty currently is developing our education platform, which is called the Esports Education Network.
0: Mm-hmm. OK, and do you want to share anything about that? I know it's relatively new. Do you want to talk about that at all? Yeah,
1: we just launched a a free course called What is Esports? Um, It's really just to start opening the door in the conversations with parents and teachers about esports and the opportunities available within the space. Mm -hmm. Um, But the network is we we have got quite a few different uh, certifications and courses uh, in development right now. Um, Really, the goal of the platform is to be a trusted go to source for uh, esports education. So uh, on top of us building our own. Certifications in areas that we think you know are necessary, particularly in like the high school college space. Mm-hmm. Um, we also are partnering and accrediting different outside sources just to make sure you know if a company comes into the esports space and puts something out that's educational, there's someone there that's fact checking and you know making sure what's being taught is accurate. Because that's really important in a in a I, growing industry like esports.
0: And I, and I I applaud you for doing that to being kind of a certification again knowing. Knowing the Varsity Sports Foundation uh, is relatively new. I mean, we're only talking about an organization that's two years old, but really has surrounded itself, I think, with some really good people, uh, some really good industry leaders. And and it's not that they're coming. I think your organization is coming in necessarily as experts in everything. I think there's a lot of um, fact-finding that your, your foundation is doing. I think that, um, you know, you're always listening and learning and not trying to just, you know, be a top-down, like this is how you should do it kind of thing. I feel that... I feel that there's been some really good um, learning, I guess, that we are all doing right now, I guess, mm-hmm. in all of this here.
1: No, I appreciate that. You bring up a good point. We don't. We are fully transparent in a lot of the things we do, and we do believe that we're all learning. And so a lot of what I just said is part of our job is finding people that we do think are more intelligent or uh you know, experience in a certain field and bringing them on, whether it's a board or just a, a peer review or something. So it's not just my voice or Bubba's voice or someone saying this is right or wrong. We're going to take your content or whatever we're putting out and we're going to find someone else that we think is doing it right and make sure that, you know, we're all agreeing on the same topics. And so I'm glad you brought that up.
0: And that's and a great thing to bring up, too, because um, I've noticed as well as as things are put out in the space by people, by thought leaders that the, the your organization feels is um, worthwhile, that you're promoting it on LinkedIn, you're promoting it on Twitter and in other social media spaces, which I think is I think it speaks highly of the the collegial nature of esports in k-12 and in in college that we're seeing today so thank you very much for that well thank you makes you feel good yeah (laughs) but let's let's back up for a second because um you know you've been involved in esports i think was 2013 is kind of where you started in your esports uh career tell us what got you started how did you go from from being a gamer to all of a sudden now um, you know, working for a foundation and also a head coach.
1: Yeah. Oh, you did your research. Yeah. 2013 yeah. is kind of when I entered the, uh, the scene in eSports. Um, obviously, before that, I was just a video game enthusiast. 2013 is really um, the year the word eSports entered my vocabulary. And how old um,
0: were you at that time? Sorry to interrupt. I
1: would have been 18.
0: OK, perfect. So uh, high school senior or college freshman?
1: Just got into college. So high school, obviously, played with video games with all my friends, all that kind of stuff. I remember one of my friends uh, had gotten a Halo sponsorship back in the day, which just meant they sent them some free stuff. And he got to play in these exclusive tournaments. Mm-hmm. So I kind of knew a little bit about it. Again, it wasn't called esports back then, though. Or it, maybe it was. I just didn't know. Um, but uh, going into college, the kind of transition was, I was playing Call of Duty in my dorm with uh, my you know, friends and stuff, and uh, I remember we all watched the Call of Duty XP tournament. It was a million dollar Call of Duty tournament, and we all sat there and watched it, and that was the point where it clicked for me like, oh my God, this is a thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and at the time, I was in the University of Iowa's entrepreneurial program. Um, they have a pretty intensive program that you can be a part of there where they give you an office and mentors and lawyers and access to all this stuff to try to kickstart a business. Um, And at the time, I was meeting with my mentor and I was working on something that wasn't video game related. And we we finally had the moment of like, well, what are you passionate about? I love video games. You know, did you know this this happened and this happened? So we went through this transition of talking about how can I actually make an impact in the space? And at the time, it was rather foolish of me, but I was 18, 19 years old. So I was like, whatever. So I I was like, I'm just going to start hosting tournaments around here because people don't know this is going on. Uh, So I maxed out my credit cards, I bought a bunch of Xboxes, and and again, my parents don't know this, Uh, (laughs) maxed out my Best Buy card, everything, bought all this equipment, and started finding clubs that were at colleges. So they didn't have varsity programs, but they had clubs. And I would travel around um, and host esports tournaments, uh, Call of Duty, Halo, uh, Super Smash Brothers, we eventually got into Overwatch and League. And so that was my entry into actually working in, like, this is an industry that I love and I want to see it grow. Um, So that was also how I entered the college space. Well, wait,
0: but now uh, before we get too far, because yeah, because when we talked to uh, Bubba and he talked about tournaments, you know, there's a lot of tournaments that are popping up right now. When you first started doing your tournaments, how easy was it for you? I mean, did you already have a sense of how to do this or was this like, oh, my gosh, there's a huge learning curve here?
1: No, it was terrible. We got exponentially (laughs) better each and every one. Uh, The first one was just at my school, the university of Iowa, mm-hmm. we rented, we got a space for like 200 bucks through a club, um, discount. So we had a ballroom for $200 is in the middle of the winter. It was a snowstorm that day. We had like this whole, like 400 person like seats set up and raised stage and everything. We had like four teams that registered, and like three of them didn't show up because of the weather. Okay. <laughs> so, we had this whole empty arena, um, lights, LED ropes just dangled around, like no production value. We didn't even stream it, uh, absolutely nothing. And then, so, but, uh, but that you know, we had to start somewhere. So, mm-hmm. we went from that event to What that event did right was it brought a lot of people from the university that were like, hey, I want to be a part of this. I was like, "Okay, cool. You can volunteer because I have no money. Uh, (laughs) So then our next event, I got like 10 people to volunteer with me and we went to another town. We rented the space. This time we actually paid for it. I paid for it, but I couldn't afford hotel rooms for everyone. So we slept on the floor of the arena. Uh, We got like no sleep because we had to switch from Call of Duty to Halo to different days. So so we would finish the tournament like 10 o'clock at night, spend three hours redoing everything. Sleep on the floor, wake up, 6 a.m., get stuff trying to ready. We we entered. A, we did a stream that time, so that was a whole nother thing. So that event was chaos. Uh, we also way undercharged. We charged 20 bucks for the tournament. So I lost a ton of money on it. Um, but about event four was when we got the handle, handle on things, and that was when I actually made money for the first time, did a couple more events, slowly figured out how to make money. And then uh, maybe, again, kind of foolishly, I decided to take the money I, I made, and I – Put it into opening up a brick and mortar land center, which oh. I called an esports arena, um, because the purpose of it was not to just rent hourly. The purpose was to get people to actually play together and practice as a team. Sure. Um, so that was my transition out of this chaotic, moving around, hosting these events into something a little bit more stable. Um, do you want me to keep going, or was well, there anything on that you want? To touch I
0: on? I did want to touch on. Um, y- y- you said by about tournament four, you were starting to you know, figure out how this all worked. And again, I'm starting to see a lot of people right now, especially in the age of COVID, where they're like, hey, here's this tournament, here's this tur-. I mean, it was like, I think there was probably, I think there's probably about three or four that I think are starting on April 27th. You know, there's just so, it's like there's all of a sudden a flood of them. But as I look at them too, I, I see and realize the games are different, the formats are different, the even how kids are expected to play or sign up are, are completely different. I worry about the quality of these. I worry about the, you know, experience that might chase a child away from wanting to play a game in another tournament or something like that. But what is something if if somebody's just getting into, you know, starting doing tournaments, what would be if, if they've already kind of supposedly done their homework, looked at what and how things are? But what would be a thing that you would say, hey, make sure you do this right now, especially in the time that we're in, where there are a lot of kids who are maybe taking their first step into doing a tournament right now?
1: That's a great question. Um, so, so, yeah, assuming the things you just said. So uh, the main things you're going to want to look at is anytime you're hosting an event, you want to obviously have a good understanding of the professional scene. Um, And then the rule sets there because most of the time that's what you're going to want to follow. So that's where you should pull most of your rules from is how the professionals are playing in these tournaments uh, because you want kids to practice the same way. Sure. The next thing I would look at is using a established platform to be hosting the event yourself, especially if you're just starting out. You don't need to try to build your own website or white label your own products and all this stuff. Use something like Battlefy or a simple tournament organizing strategy or platform that's going to build it for you it's trusted it's secure don't try to rewrite history when you're just starting out um and then the the final thing i would say is start with a free tournament as soon as you start taking money you're going to get into a lot more issues than when it's a free event Mm -hmm. Uh, if it's a free event where you're just handing out some v bucks or whatever you don't have to worry about refunds exchanges a lot of cheating or a problem can be resolved with, hey, this is a free tournament. Sorry, this is my first time. But when you're charging money, you, you, that's, you can't use that as an excuse. So that would be my main recommendations as you're trying to get a feel for the space.
0: And I think those are three great recommendations that I'm going to take as a part of this episode and put that into a specific, like, you, you know, two-minute YouTube on, like, here's Connor's ideas on... Because on, on, I think those are great, um, great things. You know, even as somebody like myself... I. You know, I've been doing esports since 2014, I guess you could say, and I've never run a tournament, but to me, this is never, to me, my role has never been about tournaments. My role has always been about administrator and like, here's knocking down the walls and barriers to get things done. Um, to get to get your esports program set up but the tournament aspect to me has always been something like i'll leave that to the the conor all of the world to to set those things up so thank you so much for that that bit of information that really helps me out too as as i talk to even some of my own general managers who are like hey maybe we should do our own tournament and i kind of go yes let's do our own tournament you run it so mm-hmm. great great things to consider
1: yeah i would also say don't plan on making money or like yeah you're not gonna make if you, if you want to do it as like a something fun or to engage an audience already built and in this meantime sure maybe that makes sense it's a, it's a long-term play right now in the field that we're in to, to make money doing online tournaments
0: sure and, and here's a great thing too you know in talking to you i realized that you know again you, you you're 18 years old in 2013 so we're talking about 25 years old right now um, you've really grown up with esports, especially at the collegiate level. And then kind of now as it's, it's starting to grow in the high school and in the college scene, but you've grown through the different parts. You've been the casual gamer. You've been a competitive gamer. You've run tournaments. Um, and now you're a head coach, right? How did you go from University of Iowa? Boo, I'm a Boilermaker. How did you go from the <laughs> University of Iowa to all of a sudden now, you know, what what's the leap to go from doing tournaments and things like that to um, being a head coach? Were you a Were you a varsity, I guess you could say, level at University of Iowa, or was your pathway a little different that way?
1: My pathway was definitely a little different. And that's where I'm glad you asked this question and and the way you preface it, because it's going to be different for kids that are watching now. My path is not going to work. The industry is too different. But how my path went from that was uh, so I went from tournaments to I opened up this this land center. Uh, I ran that for a year. At the same time I was supposed to be going to school, I was very loosely part time. Uh, I was just at, really. at, so this
0: is in Iowa. This land center was in Iowa City then.
1: Yes. Okay. Yep. Right downtown there, we had a little store. Um, after a year, uh, decided not to re-sign the lease. Got rid of most of the equipment and used that time to finish my degree. So I took about another year just to finish my degree. Took a job selling cars to, to just pay for things. Um, which in hindsight was brilliant because I learned sales experience, which is helpful for everyone. Um, didn't think about it at the time. It was just a way to make money while I finished my degree.
0: And your degree's uh, in what now?
1: It's In enterprise leadership. Perfect. So, uh, so you have the
0: sales and business now. In yeah, a, a it, was,
1: it was a business degree that combined entrepreneurship and leadership, which was what was so cool about. So there are psych, psychology classes about like leadership and leadership within uh, organizations. But then it was also business, entrepreneurial finance, that kind of stuff.
0: that was my degree and that's great to to stop on right quick because everybody seems to think oh all these esports people are just computer science majors cpt uh stem you know for all the people who want to say like oh stem is so prevalent in esports i can say that yeah yes you see it but we can't forget those other aspects and parts about esports as well too again the business side of it right now is so key to all of this. I mean, yeah, you can have all the tech and the games and the programming and all that, but really at the heart of this, it's it's becoming huge business, right?
1: Absolutely. Yeah, I, yeah there's more jobs outside. Of, I think that the reason STEM so closely tied to it is because of like high school, college students that are in the STEM fields also love playing video games. Mm-hmm. They're not necessarily the people that are going out and pursuing the the careers and or what careers are available. Like you just said, there's a lot of business and marketing in particular, you know, social media and branding is the biggest thing uh, right now. And all that comes from the business side of things. So, yeah, that's a good point to bring up.
0: So sorry again to interrupt. It's just (laughs) (laughs) it's always good to hit hit these touchstones because, again, there may be an educator who's listening to this for the the first time who's going, you know, what's this esports thing? And and again, it's I think it's important to highlight because you are a leader in this field. That your pathway is not the what stereotypically a lot of people may think. So, right. Yeah. Anyway. So
1: I'll move on with the story. Yeah. Sorry. Go <laughs> uh, on. With with that. No. That this is not how you're gonna land this job. Um. So I did that. So I finished my degree in December of, of that year. Was selling cars. I was still connected a little bit with my entrepreneurial program. Um, my mentor from the program. Uh, he's been a huge inspiration in my life. Uh, Jeff, if you're watching, thanks. Um. And so as soon as I was graduating college. Jeff sends me uh, a a job um, and it was a university looking to start an esports program. And he's just like, hey man, I'm just saying, you should check it out. (laughs) And I'm like, okay, let me look. So coincidentally, it wasn't the job I ended up taking. It was for a different school, but it started getting the gears turning. I was like, okay, I am oddly qualified to start this program at a college. Um, I'm young for this, but let's see what happens. So I applied to three universities and Ottawa University was one of them. And the original ad was head coach in esports um but really as you dove into it it was hey we're starting this esports program we need someone to run it mm-hmm. so what i did was i went into the interview process and i actually told them so so the job's head coach keep that in mind it's an athletic head coach i went into the job and they start asking me questions like how do you feel about leading a, a league of legends team or you know what's your rank in league and this kind of stuff and, and i wasn't a league player um, and so I, I told them, hey, if you're trying to find the best league player to start this program for you, I'm not it. But if you're trying to find someone that knows esports and can convince kids to come to school and build a great program, I'm your guy. Hmm. And, uh, and it worked. Uh, they, there was a couple other really qualified players that applied for it. And, uh, and they ended up giving the job to me because at the end of the day, they knew they wanted to build a program. They didn't just want to have... Um, someone that on paper could play a game better than me. So that was the angle I went into it. Um, and also coincidentally, I didn't do league. We didn't have a league team because I didn't really know it. I knew first-person shooters, so we went mm-hmm. with Overwatch because that's the big one. Mm-hmm. So that was the big team, and then we added like Rocket League and Fortnite, um, which were games again that I felt I could lead, but also were just to build the the, the program properly. Um, and so that's how I got into it. So then I was kind of head coached by design, um, mostly worked with the team on some of the fundamentals, but building a team atmosphere and building, um, you know, the proper teamwork and communication to kind of compete. We did, we did pretty good. We ended the season with a, with above a 50% win rate, which was good for a first season. Mm -hmm. Um, and for a brand new program, but most of my job there. For the first year, what I was doing is building the program. We built an amazing, beautiful arena. We built incredible branding. We're the most followed team on Instagram, which was a a small victory in the field of trying to bring fans to college esports. Um, So that was a lot of our big wins. Uh, Now we're focused on bringing in more coaches and building up the best teams in esports. The first year was let's build the best best foundation for a program.
0: Mm -hmm. And... And I guess there's a lot of people who, you know, look at the college scene and go, "Why the heck would Ottawa University do this?" So, mm-hmm. what what was Ottawa University's, I guess, um, position coming into this when, when they launched? And what year was this that you got this job? By the way, this
1: was 2018.
0: Okay, so we're talking a couple of years ago. So a lot of Very colleges, nice. a lot of small colleges, this is our second year, and a lot of small colleges were, yeah. co- small colleges were starting programs. Um, and it, it seems that, you know, the, the, the footprint of esports right now are predominantly while there are. Yes, there's big universities that are doing this. It's the small colleges who seem to be taking this the most seriously. But what was the reason, I guess, that Ottawa University said, yes, this is what we want to do? Do you have do you remember or were you part yeah. of it or heard any of that?
1: Yeah, I was I was a little bit late to it, but I heard all the conversations and saw what led up to it. And it, it was a little bit part of my interview process. The, the thinking was. All of these NAIA schools and and private schools were adding eSports because it was a way to attract new types of students. It's a revenue driver for tuition. And so how do we get these new students? Well, let's add this program that they like. So that's what a lot of schools around us started doing. Ottawa was having this conversation. um, And so Ottawa's approach and why I took the job was, okay, all of these schools are doing it and it's a great thing. None of them are doing it great. So let's build the best program. So we started our program with a 200 person auditorium that was covered in three inches of dust and a decent sized donation check to say, if we're going to do this, we're going to do it right. Because all the other schools around us just had basement rooms or closets with like 12 computers in them. So that was our approach when I got hired was this is what we
0: need to build. So you were saying, let's make it serious and top notch out the gate. Let's not build slowly. Let's just You said you had a sizable donation and and you said a 200 seat auditorium. Was it just something that wasn't being used? It was just a fallow space at the university, I guess.
1: Kind of. It was back in the day we had a really um, we had a much more robust uh, theater and music uh, department. Mm -hmm. Uh, We don't have that anymore. And so that was the main use for this auditorium. Okay. Um, so now when I when I came onto the scene, it was only being used twice a year for a, uh, a theater production and a play. Okay. that was the only use of it.
0: Okay, I guess it's, and that's a, it's an interesting use of the space too. I found that, um, you know, one of our high schools has a a theater space, uh, Case High School here in Racine. And it's kind of like got that, uh, that almost stadium kind of seating where it's up, you know, it's, it slopes down and the, the, the stage is on the floor rather than above the seats. And uh, they're looking at this and I'm going, uh, can I use this for esports events? May I please? May I please check this out? Can I ha- because it is those kind of, of, of Spaces are perfect for viewing these events or for even practicing or doing film study or anything like that
1: Yeah, they're they're incredible and they do By definition esports needs to be Viewer-based like there needs to be spectators and I think it's a huge disjustice when you have these tournaments and these teams that can't be that real people can't come in and watch them mm-hmm. and so that was the other precedent we were establishing was not only is college esports here but we're going to get people to come out and watch this live yeah um, and you need a you need an arena for that that has spectator seating and yeah what better than an auditorium
0: <laughs> well and unfortunately things are changing of course in the world right now in the in the age of covid 19 um we're seeing that uh, there's starting to be a shift but esports seems to be I'll say evolving. I'm not going to say it's perfect right now because I know there's a lot of people saying, "Hey, this is the perfect thing for this time." But I really see that esports is evolving with the time. How are you evolving? Again, a college program that again you make it big on on visitors and and people to come in and watch and see. But how are you evolving that college program right now?
1: Yeah, I mean, obviously, like you said, everything's online right now. Mm-hmm. Um, so for the most part, uh, unfortunately, right now we we weren't we kind of the schedule got decently cleared mm-hmm. and what we did instead was we used the time for recruits. So recruiting for next year is a, is a huge thing. Like I said, we're stepping up our game with coaching and we're being bringing in these really top level talented players. And so with all this time away, we were able to use it to have our current students and some volunteer coaches, uh, kind of come together and start being a lot more active in the recruiting process. So we've had a bunch of scrims with, with recruits that are coming until next year so it's been a lot of community building around people that are going to be entering our team for next year is the best way we've been able to build this so um since we don't have yet access to the arena and the the video content that we had been putting out uh that that took a hit but Mm -hmm. The, the good side of it or the silver lining was that we feel a really good community with all of the new kids that are going to be joining our program next year and it's the biggest wave obviously we've ever had so that was really important to us and so i think we're going to hit next year with a lot of teams that already have a lot of really great chemistry and synergy and and friendships built before they even
0: step foot on campus which i think is amazing and and how big is your um, and how big is your program right now student wise
1: so right now it was only uh it was 12 on on the roster, and then some uh, kind of like walk-ons or students that wanted to participate. Mm-hmm. Um, next year, we're going to sit at around 25.
0: Okay, 25. And and I know too. Um, I'm again because th- there is so much social media that needs to take place, especially for a small college like Ottawa. Have you started to see even your um, social media presence change as a recruiting tool. I mean I know it seems to me people are calling you I, I don't know what the nickname was, I heard of you, but you know, you're heavily involved in, in the platform TikTok. What's what's they, they have a nickname yeah. for you on Tick. What yeah, is it? The
1: C, CEO of Esports on TikTok. CEO of Esports
0: on TikTok. And you know, <laughs> even uh, Terrell Appleton, who I, I I interviewed a few weeks ago, oh, a few months ago now, um, he's made a huge social media presence. And I used to kind of watch these things kind of warily, I guess, because, again, I'm a, I'm a K-12 educator. But I'm starting to see the brilliance of this in that recruiting for this needs to be a lot different than what traditional sports need to be, because there are kids who, um, who are going to get attracted. It used to be that like, for example, uh, football players are recruited by coaches. They come to the schools, they come check them out. They, they recruit them. There's a lot of, I guess, because we're in such an early phase of this, there is no great way to recruit kids right now. Is there? I mean, you're, you're also Mm -hmm. as much as you're trying to find kids to fill a role, there's kids trying to find a university that fits what they want to do. And I can see now how people like you and Terrell, who are really building an online brand and an online presence, and how that can attract kids to come to you even, in a lot of ways. Yeah,
1: no, you just nailed it on the head exactly what kind of my strategy going into all that was, and why our program's being successful in this time. Um, I can hit on my personal brand in a second, but from the university standpoint, uh, it it was the same thing, where when recruiting now has to take place online, Mm -hmm. all the other programs, the football programs, everyone else, is scrambling to put together this content and online, you know, how do we show our program online? I'm like, dude, I've been doing this every single week on YouTube for the past year. Like <laughs> where you can, well, you can watch our entire arena being built in six steps. You can watch our teams compete. You can watch vlogs of behind the scenes you can watch. And so that was, that was a, a cool moment where now esports is affecting recruiting and traditional sports. Cause now they're looking to, to, to what I've been doing and being like, Oh, this is something we should have been doing all along, not just in this pandemic time, a football program. there's been a couple examples i can't think the the school's names off the top of my head if you have a football program with a really great social media presence and youtube of your of your drills and your team and behind the scenes of of your championship games and all this stuff you can get recruits from all over the country to go to your your little town in the middle of kansas Uh, oh yeah it's 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 so it's really cool to see traditional sports picking up what's esports and what i've kind of been preaching to them all along with that goes into my personal brand so personal brand's huge. It's 2020 personal brand is the single most powerful and important thing you can do as an individual to, to influence, obviously your market, your, your, whatever you're in. Um, so TikTok's my most influential platform. And from there it's kind of stemmed, I, you know, I do YouTube really regularly. Um, you know, I put out content on Instagram, E you use that kind of stuff, but TikTok's where it took off. And I started TikTok as a recruiting tool, I knew high schoolers—that's all they were on—is TikTok, mm-hmm. and I knew we had something really cool with this arena, and, and these kids get, you know, pay scholarships to come to, come, come here. We just need to get it in front of people, so that's why I downloaded TikTok and I started sharing behind the scenes of just funny stuff our team was doing, our arena, and then I started educating on, hey guys, guess what? These kids are are, are really great gamers, but so are you, and you, you can make this happen for you. There's 200 schools that have these scholarships. There's that's growing every year. And so I think I was the first voice to really tell these high schoolers that this is something you can pursue. Mm. Um, and I got fortunate because my timing was perfect. was perfect. And uh, TikTok was blowing up at the same time I was posting this content and. Just kind of hit the right chord with a lot of people, I guess.
0: Yeah, uh, you certainly did. Now, I am not a TikTok user, even though Terrell challenged me to get into it. And <laughs> I, I, and here's a, here's here's my uh, problem with it, though. Again, I, I was just upstairs with my oldest, and she's on TikTok almost constantly. Um, I I do have concerns still about the data privacy issues around it. Uh, basically, you know, again, it's a it's a, it's a company that's in China. It's may be owned by Chinese government. We don't know. It, it, there's a lot of haziness around that and data. And, and I've even been harping a lot on people who are actively having students using Zoom, even though I'm not completely sold on their SIPA, COPA. But even if you educate your kids about that and they still say, I'm still going to use this, then cool. But, you know, it's a good to have those conversations. But like I said, it's it's really interesting to see you're going to where the, you're meeting kids where they're at and this is where they're at and you're, and you're putting yourself there. For me, I don't need to be on TikTok in order to recruit for my esports program because I have the school district, but you on the other hand and a lot of other coaches, I can see why you would wanna be on there, especially if you're looking for quality kids. But outside of TikTok, I mean, you're not just saying, oh, this kid's on TikTok and they're seeing my stuff and they message me, I'm gonna put them on my esports team. What other steps do you do as a college coach? And I, I'm sorry, if it sounded like I was lecturing you about TikTok, I wasn't lecturing you. I'm all about no, like,
1: you're educating and it, it's the proper education. You should be, you should be aware of what you're, you know, spending your time on and sharing. So yeah, you're digi- totally. We always talk
0: about kids and their digital footprint, right. And, and, and tending to your digital footprint and making sure that it's safe. in fact, my middle child refuses to go on to zoom with her school. She says, hey, they've got some they have got some privacy issues. I'm not going to use that tool. And I think it's very brave of her. And she says, I can still do my lessons without having to use Zoom. I'm not going to do it. She has a different view about so, uh, you know, her digital footprint and data privacy. But for those kids, because I've got a lot of kids in my community, especially in Racine, who don't have access to um, Internet at home. They don't necessarily have solid data plans on their cell phones how do you go beyond that step of using TikTok as a recruiting tool? How do you go to the next step of saying to a child or a, a, a prospective scholar, gamer even, even, hey, we would love to have you come out. We've seen you in a tournament or we've seen some of your stuff online or your or your coll- your high school coach reached out to us. How do you get that next step of getting that kid to, to meet with you, talk with you and find out if they're going to be a good fit for Ottawa University?
1: Yeah, great question. Um, so I developed kind of my own... Uh, process for for recruiting for esports it's kind of derived off of the process for selling a car to be honest um so i called it the feeding process uh and so i got i'm actually kind of out of the game so basically what it was was first contact um you know you got to find the kid so whether the recruiting tool is my personal brand or tournaments or a discord whatever we've got to find the kid and get his stats or numbers to figure out is this a kid that is even good enough to be on our team mm. um I set the baseline kind of low for our, for our team. It's higher than others, but I don't want the, the overall determining factor just to be on paper what you what you are because your character and attitude and all that plays into it. So we, we establish first contact. Um, and then from there, what we do is we have them enter our personal discord and we encourage collaboration. So before we even figure out if we're gonna offer this kid or anything, we let them have a conversation with a kid that's already at our school. Where I'm not in it, so they can ask the questions they might not want to ask. What's mm-hmm. you know the student life like? What do you do for fun there? We, we want to talk to them, uh, have them talk to kids at our school to make sure you guys are going to get along because you're going to spend a lot of time together. <laughs> uh, and then we talk to the students in our program. We say, what do you think of that guy? Do you think he'd fit in? You know, we don't we're, we're, we're not even talking games yet. We're just figuring out are are you is their personality going to match? Should they say yes or no. We're we'll okay, cool. So then we invite them into a tryout. They'll run a scrim or just uh, depending on the game an online game with some of our kids. It's just to see if they can hang and if their skill levels, uh, what they said it was on paper. Uh, from there, we have a dialogue with the parents. Mm-hmm. So we always call the parents and we say, hey, you're, you know, your kid might be coming here for to play video games. What are your thoughts on that? And then we want to get them to feel comfortable sharing any of their um, worries so that we can address them and make sure the full Families on board with this because obviously the parents are the ones paying <laughs> and or at least signing the loans So we, we need to make sure they're they're, they're sold on the program mm. um, So we do that and then once we have the dialogue with the parents, we make them an offer We let them know where they're going to come at uh, Normally we invite them on a tour at that point as well right now it's all virtual tours and, and conversations um, But after we talk to the parents normally we'd invite them out to campus they tour they'd meet me Some of the other people that work in the program some of the students um, and then, yeah, we get the numbers in and let them know what it's going to cost to go here. And, um, hopefully they say yes.
0: <laughs> so, th- so there is a scholarship offer then of some kind, cause it's NAIA and I, I, mm-hmm. I know that there's certain things you can call it, a, you call it a tuition grant. I mean, what do you call it?
1: Yeah. So, so, I mean, it, it gets hairy with eSports cause technically we're not governed by NAIA. Mm-hmm. Uh, we pick how we want to be governed, um, typically for NAIA schools though, um, It's a discount off of tuition. It's a discount rate is mm-hmm. what it's called internally. It's still called a scholarship when it's prevented, presented, mm-hmm. um, it, but at, it's known as a discount rate. So it's how much you're discounting tuition to get that student to come here. So it can be higher or lower depending on their grades and how, you know, important they are to the team. Are they going to help? Uh, are they going to be, uh, I forget the term we use internally, but basically are they going to be a, a, are they going to have a big shift in how this team performs? And if they are, we can discount them more than than others.
0: Okay, and and just to go back onto the process a little bit because I I do have one question and I guess it's a little concern that popped up in my head. When between the time that the your student prospect is placed into your Discord versus, is there communication with the the co- a high school coach at all or is there bef- a parent before all this goes on? Because it sounded like it sounded like parents were contacted well after well into the process, I guess.
1: Yeah, they, no. So we don't talk to the parents until um, high school coach is a little bit different, okay. um, but the only way we're able to talk to them is once we get them to give us their information. So we, we might make first contact, but for the most part, the only way we make contact is they have to fill out our form first. Okay. So then we make contact to figure out and talk to them. But I, I see your, your concern and it is, potentially important to move that step further, but just know for the, yeah, for the, uh, we need their, we, we get their information first. So they inquire to us first Okay, and that's something that we want to change down the road. And so bringing that up is, is a good point with coaches. It's very hit or miss just because most high school clubs are ran rather loosely Mm -hmm. and coaches sometimes don't even Fully know what's going on with the team, or where they're applying, or what's going on there.
0: Yeah, um, I've I've had that I've had this conversation many times with many people, and it and it's Nace hasn't done it, NASEF hasn't done it, HSCL hasn't done it. I mean, there's uh, Tespa hasn't done it, and I don't want the NCA involved, or I want them involved in as little as possible. But I still look at what the NCAA does when it comes to recruiting especially around like football, baseball, basketball, all their sports, any scholarship sport. And they've got a process. And that process has dates and has rules about how you do it. And I know we're still in this young phase. And we've got, again, you've got NCAA schools, you've got NAI schools, you've got schools that do this as student life, you've got schools that do this through athletics, some other organizations. I mean, we're all kind of all over the place right now. And I just wish there was some like universal, like this is how you recruit from high school to college. But again, we've got kids, as you, as you pointed out, there's kids who are doing this as a club who have a high school coach who has no idea really what's going on. Other than they signed a piece of paper that says, yeah, I'll sponsor this, but I'm letting the kids run it, you know, versus my program, which is five high schools. Uh, we've got two coaches at each school. We call them general managers. Um, we've got several teams, you know, it's like, it's really just this Hit and miss right now that I don't know, it just kind of pains me a little bit just to see how, like, for example, Connor, I've got some great kids here in Racine. I'm happy to, you know, get you in contact with them. Um, but I've got some kids right now, even again, in the age of COVID, who, for lack of a better phrase, have gone missing. It's because, and I say gone missing, not because they're actually missing, but because they don't have internet access at home. They don't have a PC. They don't even have a console at home. So they don't even have a way to show off what they're doing. But I've got these really, you know, I've got some video and I've got some contact information that may help. So I just wish there was some, like I said, some clearer process. And I know Fuse is working on a process. I know Yo, uh, GG has been working on a process. So it feels like there's, we're going to have this really great opportunity to have this really good conversation here in the near future about how do we help kids? Cause we're going to have all these scholarships. How do we get kids or discounts to find the perfect fit? I guess you could say, and that mm-hmm. it, it feels like just a huge, do you feel, do you feel that as well too? Or you feel like you're missing kids who would be like, Oh, I wish I had that kid. Yeah.
1: Yeah. If, if I didn't have my personal brand and if I wasn't able to attract the applicants that I can just off of my personal brand, mm-hmm. our program would be in a lot of trouble because it's very difficult to, yeah, properly or not, maybe not in a lot of trouble, but definitely not the level of skill and, and competition that we're going to have. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, it's totally, it's totally a big missed or not missed opportunity, but yeah, it's, it's totally lacking right now. There's, it's very difficult because like you said, everything's bundled in one and AI school and the D one school are playing each other. Um, everything's bundled into one. So the questions you have to ask these students are very wide, depending on what kind of school they're going to get into, what they can afford. So it's difficult to build a all-in-one solution for mm-hmm. these kids, you know, with, with you one or when you're offering full ride, yeah, it's easy. Cause no one's going to turn that down. So you just <laughs> want to find the best player and you give them a full ride and it's right. good. But when you're talking about discounting to go to a private school where it's still going to end up being about the same cost as a public school, uh, now you need to differentiate yourself and you need to come up with – your program has to have good reasons for why a kid should go there um, and how do you answer those questions on a sheet of paper that you can give to all the high school kids that are competing. It's very difficult. Um, And and part of building the legitimacy of college esports, like you said, is it's the only sport where the kid has to come to us. We don't come to them. And football, baseball, basketball – the coaches go to, you know, watch them play and go, hey, kid, you got good stuff. Here's my card. And they're like, mm-hmm. oh, cool. We don't yeah. do that in eSports. Um, and, and, and so, yeah, until that is further developed, I think it does harm the platform in total because one of the other big things that's lacking right now is the pro scene involvement. Um, if you believe in the pipeline system like I do of high school, college pro – we need more pro teams actively engaging college programs to look for recruits and to look for up-and-coming contenders, people, and, and all that stuff. Yes, we've seen kids go pro from college esports the past two years. There's been at least one. For the <laughs> most part, though, it's kind of backwards, where they were contenders players that got full ride, and they're like, okay, we'll play for a couple years just to kind of redshirt them, and then they, they bring them back. So, yes, it looks good, but we're still a little ways off from pro teams taking this very serious, and I think it's because of that that they're – Pro teams can't feel confident that college, colleges are finding the best players out there right now because mm-hmm. there's just not a standardized way to do it.
0: Well, if there was a way that we could change that. I mean, I know that that's something that you seem very in tune to, um, the college and the pro scenes together. What could we do to change this landscape? I, I, to me, uh, again, people ask me about pro stuff. They're like, oh, did you see you know, Cloud9 or whatever? I'm like, honestly, I, I don't hardly know anything about because my, my focus is again so educationally focused about using this as a tool to get kids engaged in school at the k-12 level the pro stuff for me is is so very far removed from my mindset right now because you can only do so many great things in in one in one way but where do you see how pros could fit better you said around not just recruiting but having a I guess a presence in collegiate more so right now is that what you were trying to get at uh respecting collegiate more okay Uh,
1: you don't see them talk about it or share it that much you don't see pro teams tweeting like college championship this weekend like this is good competition like these kids are awesome like you just don't see them really engage or acknowledge the scene much Mm -hmm. um which i think is unfortunate i don't need to see them completely engaged it. i don't need to see them you know uh scrimming college teams or, or something like that while it'd be cool like you know if you did best college team versus professional team to see how they stack up every year. That'd be really cool. I'm getting off topic. Uh,
0: I don't know. I'd be, I'd love to see something like that. To be honest,
1: it would, it'd be cool. Um, but it doesn't need to be that, I guess is what I'm saying. It just needs to be them respecting the scene and understanding what we're building and maybe being a little more educated on it. Cause I've talked to a lot of people that are at the professional level that work in some of these pro teams that don't know anything about college. And it seems silly because that's potentially where you're going to find your next big players or stars, uh, so, yeah, I think there there needs to be a little better connect. And I think it's just because the legitimacy of college uh, esports has been hurt from it just being so scattered and there's no standardization. And some programs are run by coaches. Some programs are run by professors who signed a piece of paper and said, I'll do it. Some yeah. programs are run by volunteers. It's just so all over the place that uh, I get both sides of it, I guess. But.
0: And I guess to my my own ignorance is not contributing to that. Um, happening either, because again, my own words, pro to me is something that's so far off in my mindset. It's like, I'm worried about getting kids to college. I'm not worried about getting them to the pros, but perhaps what I need to do is do a better job of understanding and learning the pro scene and the ins and outs so that I can you know, maybe have that conversation with kids who are going to grow up and maybe either go pro or go college, but may end up in, in that pro field where they go, hey, we got to, you know, we got to talk about our roots. We got to talk about where, where we learned how to do this stuff. And I have also seen, too, you know, even like let's take Riot's uh, recent community guidelines. You know, we did the letter, uh, open letter to Riot because they, they put their community guidelines. And one of the, the things that um, the actionable items that I suggested to Riot to how to change their community guidelines was. You need to separate out the K-12 and the collegiate guidelines. You can't have college and K-12 together because they're so vastly different. And even what they're doing between like what college and pros are doing, there has to be these, like the, the, you know, realizing just how important high school has become college is and pros obviously are.
1: Yeah. That, that's a good point. Cause just as much as pros need to acknowledge the scene, publishers have actively kind of fought it because they want to push their agenda of their own path to pro where they have these amateur series events run to work your way up and climb these ladders. They want full control of you from when you're a kid to when you go pro and or watch the pros, right? Interesting. So so they don't want to hand over and they don't want to see a kid compete for his high school and then go to college and then get picked up pro. They just want that kid focusing on them all of their gaming career. So they've fought this. Behind the scenes oh, publicly. Yeah, they've got their college wings and they do their college events and stuff like that mm-hmm. But for the most part if if publishers weren't pushing these amateur type events so much I think amateur would be dead in a year or two um, Or at least to the level that we've seen it and you would see the pipeline pick up and then there would be Like, you know, there's always gonna be rec leagues and youth leads and stuff like that, which mm-hmm. is cool Um, but you're not, you wouldn't see the abundance of these amateur events and everyone thinking they need to host an an online event. Like you said (laughs) earlier, if it was acknowledged by the the publishers and the pro teams, like, Hey, you want to go pro? That's awesome. Get involved in high school, make some friends, play your games. Oh wait, you're really good. Okay. Get a scholarship, go to college, compete. Oh my God, you won the national championship. Here's a pro contract. Hmm. That's how it should be. But you don't make as much money as a publisher if you let that happen.
0: And, and I guess it's you know there's only one publisher that I'm really aware of, of of the big publishers of the big games we'll say who's really kind of said hey use our game however you want we don't care you you want to do your own thing and that's been Valve and Valve has been very open about just kind of like saying hey yeah use our stuff for whatever you want to do. So again, Dota 2. But unfortunately Dota 2 isn't something that gets kids excited, you know. Right now, of course, Riot with Valorant is 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 coming out and of course Overwatch is still there. And when you again, if you're as an educator have not read these community guidelines, I highly recommend Finding them, searching them out, and reading these community guidelines to understand exactly, you know, not just how how you can play these games, but also you know what the tournaments can even do. Um, I had to educate some of my colleagues here in town just because they were hoping to run a cash tournament, and I'm like, uh, you can't just you know, there's certain rules. Like for example, with Overwatch, you can't even run your tournament at the same time when Overwatch League is running live on television or on 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 um, Twitch or on YouTube. So. Yeah, you know, there's, there's, you're right. I can see how the developers and the publishers just want it to be kind of like, you know, control. It's just control, top down, so much. And do you, I feel like if they just, especially at K twelve, and maybe some more at collegiate, but really at K twelve, if they were more forgiving and more open to saying, hey, you can use our games for a lot of different purposes, and here's a pathway to get certified by us to use our games they would have these huge user bases potentially. I don't see why they're trying to control the user base so much. Do you?
1: No, yeah. You're. I, I see it from your end. There must be something we're missing, but if you can get, if, if they said, yeah, we embrace K-12 and kids are now uh, having a really fun, you know, since in sixth grade, learning league and learning the, all the different strategies and all this stuff. Not only are you bringing these new kids onto your platform and playing your game, but you're bringing on the parents mm. and maybe the parents aren't going to play and spend a thousand dollars on skins, but they're going to watch. Yeah. And so that's, that's the biggest part of America, uh, for viewership that's not tapped into right now as parents. And so if you could get parents sold on these games and wanting to understand them, that seems like a huge win. So yeah, I don't know why publishers are avoiding that issue other than, mm. Maybe, like I just said, they're not going to make money off the parents. So, yeah, maybe their viewership's a little better, which they make money on. But I, I don't know. It seems like a win in my book.
0: Right. Well, and, and to, to get back, I mean, we're talking about honoring the importance of play and all this. We want to give kids as many opportunities to play. Uh, you're part of the Varsity Sports Foundation, but you've also developed your own little, per- well, I won't call it little, you've developed your own personal brand too. And if you're watching this on YouTube right now and you're watching the feed, you'll see that Connor has been sporting a nerd hoodie. Uh, I love the idea of the brand. In fact, I bought three, I bought, he did not send them to me free of charge. I paid for three shirts for my own children to wear at school. My, in fact, the joke in our family is uh, we call each other nerds. And so I thought it was perfectly appropriate. So Connor, tell us just a few minutes here. Tell us about your nerd brand and, and what, what is the, what is the uh, mission behind, I guess, the nerd branding?
1: Yeah, thanks for asking. So uh, so nerd is all about taking back the word nerd. Like you just said, uh, by calling your kids nerds and joking around with it, you're, you're living the brand. It's taking back this word nerd from meaning something derogatory or something you can make fun of a kid and changing it to its true definition, which means you're just happy being yourself. Um, you're confident in doing what you want, when you want, and you're not just trying to mold into what is considered cool or what everyone else is doing. Um, and so with the brand, we're encouraging kids to do that. We're encouraging kids to be confident in uh, in themselves and what they love. If it's video games, great. So many kids are scared to um, tell people about video games or want to even say they want to get a scholarship to go to college even though they know they love it because it's not cool or it's not what the, the cool kid's doing or whatever. And it, it's so... Um, It's not where we're at. It's 2020 kids uh, kids are interested in different things, and that's okay So that's where the brand comes in is just to encourage kids to be themselves Um, So we're bringing in all sorts of different influencers online Um, yes in gaming but in a bunch of different verticals entertainment and anime and uh, traditional athletes um, Musicians we're bringing in all these people to show like hey, I'm a professional athlete. I do this I do this and I'm a nerd Mm -hmm. I'm I'm a musician. I do this um and so yeah, it's a really fun, exciting uh movement that we're that we kicked off. And one of the really cool things that we're doing with it is uh ten percent of everything that we sell gets put into a uh secured nonprofit uh held fund to help build high school esports because I truly believe high school esports clubs um are the best way to build a community for kids that don't fit into the traditional athletic structure. It gives Absolutely. them an opportunity to have fun and have teams uh, or to play on teams and, and have fun and make friends that currently they're missing out on, which is really unfortunate.
0: Yeah. And, and and again, in my own community, Connor, I've seen it. I mean, again, I've lost probably an entire high school of kids who just, again, all this, that's one of my big things right now is, is that we're all kind of moving on and esports is like, oh, esports is, is picking up the slack where traditional sports are no longer there. But I just look at it still and just go, I've got a community of kids who just don't have access to it. And I'm, it pains me to see us moving forward. And I'm, and I'm constantly thinking, and this goes more into the K-12 level of things and, and access and equity issues. But, you know, it kind of pains me a little bit to say, like, yeah, I love seeing these great tournaments and stuff. And, man, I've got some kids who I just know would really kill it in these tournaments. And I just, yeah, I see the, the importance of making sure that every child in the United States, in the world, because I believe so passionately about how important this is, is that they are able to participate. And that's, and that's one of the hardest things right now is everybody seems to think like, oh, esports is so universal and everybody is able to get into it. And right now, there are kids who, are, who need this the most who are not able to participate. So I really appreciate the work that you're doing, too, with, with the Varsity Esports Foundation and through the Nerd brand to, to try to fix that problem. I appreciate it.
1: When is when is this episode coming out? I've got some some inside news of something we're doing. I, I was gonna launch to... it tonight. Okay, um, I might need to hold off then. Okay, we've got we've got an exciting. I'll say this: next month we're launching a really cool campaign to help bring access to kids that do not currently have access.
0: I'll say that. Perfect. I love that because I need it. So, <laughs> so I'll be the first in line. If, if, if I can be so you've
1: already. Yeah, you've already just by rocking the, the shirts with your kids and, and sharing the message you're already helping.
0: Perfect. All right. Uh, Connor, uh, Connor, Olney, anything else you wish to share with us today?
1: Get out there and educate someone on esports. That's all. You, that's all. That's all yeah. I ask. Find someone that doesn't know about it and, and, and enlighten them. Um, that would make me happy and that'd make all of us happy.
0: Absolutely. All right, Connor Alney, Varsity Esports Foundation and Ottawa University head coach, thank you for being on the Academy of Esports podcast. Absolutely, thank you for having me. That will do it for this week on the Academy of Esports. I've been your host, James O'Hagan. Esports are organized competitive video games, allowing schools to redefine their athletic culture, diversify opportunities for student participation, promote good physical and mental health, increase collegiate scholarship pathways, and play games. We can never forget the importance of play. The mission of the Academy of Esports is to support these ideals. The vision of the Academy of Esports is for all students to experience the fun and joy of playing competitive video games. You may follow me on Twitter at Jim O'Hagan. That's at J-I-M-O-H-A-G-A-N. And through the Academy of Esports account at E-sports. It's a great way to get the latest blog posts, podcast episodes, and news coming out of esports and education. And remember, you can continue your engagement by going to www.taoesports.com. You can also connect through Facebook at www.facebook.com slash taoesports. Thanks again for listening, and I look forward to our time again next week.